Well, I just want to say welcome as we kind of come to the conclusion of this year. And I do want to thank you, uh, so many of you, um, who have been gracious and given in a really difficult year. And you have made our year better as a church family. Um, thank you for your gifts, your financial support through this past year. And we've come to the close of this year. We still have a hill yet to, to climb a little bit to end, end well, but we just... Um, we continue to praise God, and we thank him. And I just would love to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. And those of you who are at home, as we just pray, those lines that said, I will praise you in the lowest valley, we, we do that, God. Right now, we praise you. Um, this last year has been one of those difficult years, and there's been times people have gone through some valleys, and you may be in one right now. And I pray that in this moment, whether you feel alone or whether you feel broken or you're feeling incredibly anxious, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would minister to that heart that is calling out to you, that you would strengthen them. And I thank you, God, because some people have, in this time, um, experienced anxiety and experienced some difficulties, and, and they have found you to be faithful and have moved them even to better places. And so, God, thank you for how you are moving and how you're at work, and we give you your praise and praise to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. You know, as uh, some of you may have seen this, the cover of Time magazine kind of made a splash, and it, it, it's just, it says, 2020, with the crosses in it, worst period, year period, ever, exclamation point. And that does kind of sum up in many ways, how people feel about this year. Many people would love to forget it, would love to have it behind them, would love to not ever think about it again, correct? This is, you know, what's be done with it. Um, but I have to share with you that I was thinking, and as I was thinking about this, I was looking at the year end, and I was looking at the next year, 2021, and as I was looking and reflecting about that, and, and one of the things that I had thought of um, quite a while ago, back in Almost in the summer, uh, late summer, I had thought, boy, it would be great to start 2021. And I thought with a 21 day, um, we, we usually do a, 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 like a three day fast or we've done a seven day, but a 21 day, uh, days of making space for God. That's kind of what we thought. Can we do that? Can we take 21 days in some way, figure that out? And as I was looking at that and thinking about it, um, glancing at my calendar, I looked at 2020. And then I looked at 2021, and I had this thought. This thought occurred to me. The number 20, which we see in 2020, which had some of these really negative things come into our life, um, actually has some lessons for us to learn, some things that we can take with us out of 2020. And then it hit me, and I began to look at the numbers, 20, 21, 20, 22, 20, 23, say it with 20, 24, right? 20, 25. And it occurred to me that we will see the number 20 for the next 80 years. Think about that. The very number we want to just get rid of and cross out and say worst year ever. And I, I couldn't help as I, as I glanced at that and I looked at that number, maybe God doesn't want us to forget 20, 20. Maybe there are some really good things that we are to learn from this and to carry throughout the next 80 years. It's amazing how short our memory is, right? 
Could it be that as we track time over the next number of years, God will put before us a reminder that says there's some things that I wanted you to learn and that I would love for you to take with you in the coming years? So for every year for the next 80 years, I just want you at least who are listening and who are here to know that we will be starting with that number 20. And every time you write it or say it or have opportunity to remember I want you to remember those things that it's so easy to take for granted. I want you to learn this lesson. The number one lesson, I think, is basically this. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what you have. People's smiles, hugs, handshakes, eating out with friends at a restaurant, Walks outdoors. Being able to make and follow through on simple plans. Right? Time with family. Being present at bedtime with your kids. Loved ones. How precious loved ones are. How precious it is to be in the same room with them or in a facility and you can't. How precious loved ones are. When they pass away, and as I had, for some, we weren't even able to do a proper funeral. Celebrations of weddings. Women who are pregnant for the first time and end up having a baby during COVID. All the things that we kind of so easily take for granted. And I think every year from now on, we'll have the opportunity to stop and reflect when we see or read that number. At least I hope you do. And if we take time to do so, we will recognize that God in his goodness has put some things right in our hands that we so often take for granted. Because we'll remember 2020. Some of you, I will remember Thanksgiving meal with just my wife because of some COVID exposure that occurred. I will remember... um, travel around Christmas being restricted and friends that I know who were not able to go to be with family like they normally would. They couldn't go home. I remember earlier in the year canceling trips and vacations and just not being able to do those things that we so take for granted. There's a command that is in Scripture, and it's given so many times. It's a command to give thanks. It's a command to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is one of my favorites because it's so simple. You can learn three verses in these three phrases. Isn't that great? 16, 17, 18. Someone says, you know a lot of verses. I know three of them. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances, even in 2020, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We may not understand that will. Gratitude, I have found in my life, is one of the most important things that helps me maintain both a positive outlook and gives me energy. It, it gives, it allows the Holy Spirit to work in my life and to produce joy. I read an article by Kristen Meinzer just recently, and, and, and for three years, author Kristen Meinzer followed all the rules of 50 different self-help books for two weeks at a time. So she's reading every one of them, and she's following them for two weeks. And for two weeks, she ate what the book said to eat. She talked as the books said she should talk. 
She waked, she slept, she decorated, she interacted with her husband according to the book's doctrine. And she did that for book after book because she was writing for a um, podcast that she co-hosts. It's a reality show podcast called By the Book. And Meinzer continues, some of the guidance I encountered didn't work at all, but some of the principles I picked up in my self-help journey really made my life better. The one big winner, she writes, practicing gratitude. Wow, that was written and is written so many times in God's word. It makes sense. It makes practical self-help sense. 10% of the books over the three years that she did this um, research gave an approach to gratitude. So 10% of them all found gratitude was something to be important to note. But she had one favorite, a simple act of gratitude by John Kralik. Meinzer writes, in a single year, Kralik set out to write 365 thank you notes. So he, he made gratitude something, a practical expression of his daily life. Initially, he did it as a way to feel less hopeless during a time when he wasn't sure his life was worth living. But with each letter he wrote and tracked, he was able to literally count his blessings. And at the same time, the act of sitting down each day with pen and paper helped, listen to this, to retrain his brain to focus more on good things in life and less on the bad. Isn't it interesting that one of the things that the Word of God says is that we are to renew our minds. That's how we grow. And one of the commands he gives again and again is to be grateful for what we have. It is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Meinzer says that he wrote these things. But with each letter he wrote in track, he was able to literally count his blessings. It put him in the present moment rather than in past regret Rather in the future, hoping that things would change. And when they did change, when 2021 came around, finally we have the vaccine and that everything's back to herd immunity. It's a, it wasn't about that. It was how do I in this moment show up with the energy that comes from this simple command? Meinzer adds, Kralik didn't just write letters. He also made a practice of answering simple how are you's with things he was grateful for rather than complaints. I thought that was an interesting thing. Instead of moving to a complaint, he went to what he was grateful for. And when he was feeling down, he would play the glad game, which he first learned about while reading Eleanor H. Porter's classic children's book, Pollyanna, to his daughter. In the glad game, players list all the things they're happy about as a way to muster the fortitude to get through life's challenges. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who has right in this moment given us things to be thankful for. And that thankfulness is what gives us so many times energy to move through the things that we experience in life. Kralik herself says, during the time I was living by Kralik's book, the branch of the company I was working for just decided to, to fold. So right when she's in this phase, her company folds. I was worried about my direct reports, and concerned for myself, and on top of that, I had medical issues that required surgery. I was feeling down. But the simple daily act of writing thank you letters helped me feel better. I wrote a note to each person on my team who was let go, thanking them for their hard work and making my life happier. I wrote to my doctors, thanking them for their care and support. I even wrote the letter to my boss who made the final decision to close my department thanking him for all the opportunities he gave me over the years. 
And these letters allowed me to focus on how blessed I was, not just for the good medical care and good opportunities, but for all the people in my life whom I was lucky enough to know and feel supported by. How much more terrible would my life be had I been faced forced to face all my troubles alone? Writing thank you notes reminded me I wasn't alone and I probably never would be. Number one, just live grateful for what you have. It'll keep you in the present. Number two, when paused, so when you hit a pause, which we talked about as a church, we're in a pause, listen to God and make space for God. Okay? When you are in one of those life pauses, and I don't know what that will look like for you, but there are times in your life that God presses the pause button on something you're deeply desiring, something you want to see happen. It may be some promotion at work. It may be you want someone to grow up and act in a way that you would desire for them to act. And you're in a position where you can't make that happen, but you're in a pause. And one of the best things you can do is just to stop and ask God, what are you teaching me in this space, in this pause? And rather than fight it, what can we learn from it? Where does God want me to grow? It's one of the things I'm very grateful for our elders and as we have a staff. One of the things we said is let's use this pause to see God do some things in us so that when we move back into it, we'll allow God to reset us to do the things that we hope he wants us to do and what he has called us to do. And it may not look like what it was before, but will we be willing to, by faith, join him in what he's doing? Will we take time to listen? One thing we learned this past year was that there is no such thing as planning, right? You just, how many made plans and then went, uh, that's not going to happen? How many gave up making plans eventually, right? Okay. How many never plan anyway? <laughs> anyway, so the only plan was no plan. Just remember what it was? Phases. It was, it was a unique way to move through things. We will move from this phase to this phase, which is a way of saying it's a temporary potential plan. And we learned to live flexibly. We learned in last year, through this last year, to make space for God to show up in the way he wants to show up. One of the great lessons you can learn from this is not about being grateful and living in the moment for what God is doing, but it's also saying, what are you doing in me in this moment, God? What are you doing that you want to change and cause me to grow in? What am I to pay attention to? James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 is a great little lesson because these are people who are wealthy he's speaking to. They're people who have the ability, because of wealth, to control so many things in their life. Well, ultimately, we know that you can have all kinds of wealth and you can't control whether you're going to get ill. You can't control how long you will actually live. You might be able to lengthen some of your days. You might be able to get some experience where you're not as ill, but you can't buy love through it. We know all those things. And here's one thing you can't do as well. You can't live a life really connected to God if you don't make space for him. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. Sounds like they're in COVID, right? Um, We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. And what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Now, God's not saying don't make plans, right? And my point in this is not that you don't make plans. My point is that when you're put on pause, 
And when you do make plans, it might be that you got to go, God, what are you doing in this? Are you turning me left or right? Are you saying just hold off and wait? What are you calling me to do? I was in my mid-20s when I heard these words as I read it from a book, from a very popular classic devotional book um, by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. And I remember reading this, and it kind of left a dent, so to speak, in my life. It's one of those things that, you know, you read something and it just kind of comes back to you once in a while. And it came back to me through this time. Here's what he says. As workers or servants for God, we have to learn to make room for God. To give God elbow room. We calculate and estimate and say this and that will happen and we forget to make room for God to come in as he chooses. Do not look for God to come in any particular way, but look for him. That is the way to make room for him. Expect him to come, but do not expect him only in a certain way. However much we may know God, the great lesson to learn is that at any minute he may break in. And Oswald Chambers gives this advice. Keep your life so constant in its contact with God that his surprising power may break out on your right hand or on the left. Always be in a state of expectancy. So not only live in the moment gratefully, but live making space expectantly and see that you leave room for God to come in as he likes. This is what we want to do. So we're going to move into January. On January 10th, we're going to do something called 21 Days for Making Space for God. So I want to just share with you, and hopefully um, it will be here on this live stream and podcast so people can go back and they can hear exactly what this is to be. But we're going to seek to see God's plans be fulfilled through us. That's what we're praying for as we move into January and February and we set something for the next two to three years. It won't happen. I've been telling people, it's not like you turn on a light switch. It's more like when you turn on a computer and it whirs for a while and things are going and eventually one image comes up and another. That's kind of what we're looking at. It's going to be a process we pray over time. And it will involve, and it has involved all of you. We've been praying and asking God and asking you and getting survey information. We've been doing all these things. In this pause time, we said, God, we want to make space for you and we want you to show up. We don't know how exactly, but we know that you're going to break in. So what are we asking people to do? We're asking people to reset your... In that 21 days, say, reset me, God, and reset us as a church family according to your purpose. And here's what we're going to ask you to do. Either to eliminate and reduce that which takes your attention or consumes you so that you can give your attention and be more consumed by God, his heart, and desires both to do this individually and we're going to do this together and ask people to somehow be a part of it. You can do it for 21 days, three days, seven days. And here's the three different tracks we're going to ask you to think about taking. And the first is just a food fast. If you want to somehow make space for God by eliminating or reducing either sweets or carbs or calories or alcohol, I don't care what it is, but is there something you can say, God, I'm going, to eat, I'm going to reduce or eliminate this for a period of time, and in doing that, I'm saying, I may have a desire for this, but I'm going to actually use and pay attention to that desire for you. Another one is this. It's called a negativity fast. You could do this if you want. How do you kind of, in some way, um, reduce the negative sources in your life? Uh, now, you have, may have a negative person you're living with. You can't just get away from them, okay? And that's not what I'm talking about. But it could be news sources, it could be all kinds of different things. There may be some things where you say, how do I reduce that? But then how do I do positive things that bring uh, positive outlooks in my life? For instance, I shared with you one that I think you can do. You could do it for 21 days. You could say, I'm going to for 21 days write thank you notes. 
My wife did this a couple years ago. I don't think she read the book, but heard about it. And for five days a week, for one whole year, she wrote thank yous to people. And I said, what was one of the main things you learned from this? She said, it, it was interesting. It forced me to have to look for the good in other people and what they're doing so that I could pat them on the back or, or, or thank them or in some way just acknowledge what it meant to me and how it impacted me. You could do that for 21 days. Or you could do it um, if you want a digital fast. We've talked about digitally decluttering your life. Maybe um, instead of five news sources on your feed, you have just one. Or, or maybe in a social media, you say for seven days. Oh, maybe that's a, maybe three days you're not going to look at Instagram or Facebook. Or, I don't, again, I don't care how you do it, but will you participate in some way? Uh, we are asking you to do it either for three weeks or to choose one. You can do one one week, one the next week, and one the next week. And one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do is to dig deeper. We'll put some of this information up on the website so you can look at it or on our app. The other thing we've just done is we've recorded three podcasts in, of each one. So there's one that just came out. You can look under conversations, look for that podcast. One that just came out that I did with what I call two digital natives. They were Gen Z's in my Tuesday morning group where we talked about a digital fast. What does that look like? And then we'll have one on negativity and we're going to also have one on fasting. And they've been done. They'll be coming out. So watch for those. There's ways that you can actually go, how can I do this? And our prayer is going to be this. It's very simple. Our prayer is, Jesus, consume us with your desires, lest we be consumed by our lesser desires. That's what we're asking you to participate in. Lesson number three. Watch for where God is moving and join him. That's one of the things that I that we, I think, as a congregation, as we went through this year and started going through the book of Acts, one of the things that came really true, you can read Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, was when you read Acts, one of the lessons we learned this last year is that where God is moving and you see him and you watch him, then join him. That's exactly the life Jesus modeled for us. He didn't say you got to do something heroic and hard. He just said, do what I'm doing. I watch how my father works, and when he works in a certain way, I join him. I do what he's doing. He walked through a pool in Bethesda, and he walked through, and there are all kinds of people who are ill, but we're told he only healed one person. For some reason, God was moving in his spirit in that person, and he told that person to stand, and he healed him. It was on a Sabbath and got him in trouble with all the religious police of his day. They were really ticked at him. And so here's what he says in John chapter 5. He says, I tell you the truth. So he's talking to them. He says, here's the reality. This is like gravity. You can jump off a building and you'll prove it to be true. Here's the truth. If you do this, and if I do this, this is the way it works in the realm of the spirit, in the way God works. He says this, the son can do nothing by himself. He does not only, he does only what he sees his father doing. So he is constantly in his life watching for where God is moving and going, hey, this may require a step of faith. This may be a costly thing, but I trust so much. Fear is anticipation of evil. He doesn't live by fear. He anticipates that as he follows what his father is calling to do, it will always be good. Now, it may be hard and it may cause suffering. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to a cross. But the outcome he knew ultimately was good. And so he says, I'm just going to do what I see my father doing. And whatever the father does, the son does also. So as we move into this next um, number of months and years, every time you see 20, 21, 20, 22, one of the lessons that I hope you will take with you 
is that you will live a life where you're given to the Holy Spirit that says, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit, first of all, ask the Holy Spirit to rule your life. If you've never done that, it's an important step. It says, I want to be controlled by your Spirit every day. And as you do that, then say, I also then want to watch and see. I want to train my heart to see where you're moving. And when I see that, I'm going to try with all my being to choose to walk in faith and step into that believing. This is what will make it from trying to choosing. I will choose believing that you will reward that. I have a, a neat little story that I heard from one of our uh, elders of our church, David Boyce, and I thought, well, I'll do a Zoom interview with him as an illustration. Kevin, you had a message here about a month ago, and in that message here, there was a uh, a challenge to really engage in prayer and ask where God's leading you. And part of your message here, uh, what we did, we looked at the response of the apostles when they were, um, you know, Jesus had just been taken up and uh, they were given this incredible task. The task was, how do we spread the word to the world? And their response really was, um, they went and they prayed and they asked and God how they were going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was incredible. Part of the key to the message here was a takeaway is, you know, what are you going to do? Let's go to God in prayer and really ask for something. And I put a name to it. So as somebody that I wanted to have an opportunity to share with. So I get to last week and I'm in South Dakota. So let me just say out of that message, you're going, okay, God, I am going to do something here. I want to see you at work in this person's life. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So um, I'm out hunting with some friends. These are friends that I've had for almost 30 years now. And we're driving between hunting areas here. And a guy I know for 30 years again, he said, you know what? Just read the Bible. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, talk about being thrown a softball here. I mean, that's <laughs> this is not their normal course of conversation, I take it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, we get to dinner that night, and the other guy that was in the car with us, uh, we're sitting at dinner, and he says, you wouldn't believe what happened. I didn't expect this at all. We were talking about the Bible today in the car. <laughs> and so now we got the whole group kind of in on the conversation. Um, so then they were talking about, you know, what do they do for Christmas, and what do you read and whatnot? But it's really interesting because I think a lot of people are really – curious but they don't understand here right yeah. so this led into two or three other conversations and they were more one-on-one conversations that night and another friend come up to me um and say yeah i know i'd like to read the bible but i don't even know where to start yeah and that's where i was able to talk about the immersed bible right yeah. so i could say well you know i started with uh this bible it doesn't have chapters and verses and everything yeah. um but it's just so easy to read Oh, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I went on Amazon yesterday and ordered him the first two books. So he'll get those in the mail. And it's just another bridge. And it'll be another conversation in the future here. So, so David, it basically started with the Holy Spirit nudging you one Sunday. You heard a message and kind of said, yeah, I would love to have a conversation with that. Yeah. And Kevin, it even started earlier than that. Because if I wasn't reading through the Immerse Bible right now. Yeah. That was, you know, that was one of the pieces, and that started happening a long time ago. Um, and then it was that prayer, and it, it goes back to what you said about being a witness, too. Mm-hmm. If you had that message there, all you can do is you can say, uh, I, I'm going to tell you what I experienced, and I can tell you now what I believe in a real natural setting here, yeah. and I'm not going to do the work. I have to trust the God to do the work. So, yeah. so we're talking about God 
go ahead and when when if you will move, I will join you. And it's so cool. Thanks for sharing that story. Really, yeah. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Thanks. So I heard that story, and I thought, what I love for us here, it is truly that simple. God, I really want to see you move. I want to watch for someone in ways. David put a name to it. God moved in a situation with hunting buddies from way back that it was not the course of any conversation they'd have. I'm going to ask just one last thing, one last lesson, lead with prayer. I think one of the things we rediscovered this year is how important that is. Jesus, before he chose his disciples, spent the night in prayer. Another time the disciples aren't about Jesus spending night in prayer. There's another time that um, Jesus spends pretty much uh, the evening before his crucifixion in prayer. What we find so often, and this is a reality, what happens in the physical is one in the spiritual place of our hearts in prayer. Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but your will. It wasn't like he's going, I'm excited to hang on a cross. He said, with blood as drops of sweat coming down his forehead, he said, not my will, but your will. He won the battle in prayer and then walked it out in this physical realm. I promise you that that's the way it works. I see it. That's what we're believing in. One of the, There's just a number of things. That's why we're starting 21 days in prayer. We believe what we do in these 10 to January 31 days are important. Another thing that we'll be doing, and I want to encourage you, um, we'll be setting up what prayer looks like in one of these messages coming up and sharing with you how you can be involved. But there's one specifically I encourage you. Every Wednesday, the first Wednesday, we Zoom together, and we are now doing something with 30 other churches, and we are blanketing the Twin Cities with prayer. We are blanketing the Twin Cities with prayer. The idea is that to cover the Twin Cities every hour for the next 365 days in prayer. And we're doing that with a number of other churches in the area. Here's the part you can play. It's one hour the first Wednesday of every month. You can either participate with the group or lead one. You can sign up. There will be ways to do it. Our church will cover 12 of the 365 24-7 days in prayer. And so all I'm asking you to think about is would you give one hour of 720 hours you have in a month, that's actually 0.072% of your month, to pray with other churches and other people for the Twin Cities. We're going to be a church that prays, and that's one of the things that we want to reset within us. And so God has done great things, great lessons to learn. Let's praise him and give him thanks for that.